and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 177. I'm Aaron, and with me as always is the rest of the Who Dat Jedi Council, Dave and Fredo. Hi, guys. Hello. Happy post-Halloween. I hope everybody was uh, was uh, treated good by the uh, Great Pumpkin. And uh, so, yeah. Anyway. Good times. It was kind of quiet on my neck of the woods just because of the cold and, you know, cold wind. No, nobody, nobody wants kids getting sick. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean the, 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 the temperature would have been all right. It's the wind that made everything cruddy. So anyway, um, so yeah, well tonight we're going to cut right to the chase everybody, because tonight we are going to be watching return of the Jedi um, so you can work and we're going to be, we haven't done a commentary on this one at all. Um, you can f- open up Disney plus or fire up your Blu-ray or whatever, get out your VHS tape. Um, we're all watching the one on Disney plus. So, you know, just so you know, um, but, uh, get it queued up to where it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, and we will all hit play and, um, uh, we'll start commenting away. So everybody are, are, are the two of you ready? Ready. And on count of three, one, two, three, four, five, sir. Oh yeah. Three. Gosh, darn it. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I, okay. So how old was everybody in return of the Jedi came out? I was 10. Yeah. 10. So six. you're six. I was four. So, oh man. So we're all giving away our ages. Um, I remember I've, I've said it before. I remember, you know, like when the, the elementary school bookmobile would, you know, come and they, they like had a return of the Jedi thing too. I'm sorry. My math's terrible. I was six. (laughs) Um, but they, uh, the return of the Jedi, like some return of the Jedi book came out before, um, the movie was released. I remember seeing the death star and seeing some of the stuff and, um, being so excited for this movie. I remember being, and of course I was, um, I think, I think 10 is about the right age to be really excited about star Wars. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. the six, the six to 10, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I mean, I was like, I mean, for two years I was reading dynamite magazine that said, is Darth Vader Luke Skywalker's father? You know, um, so this was the first one that I remember just being really pumped about. Um, yeah, I think as far as oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I remember I didn't get to see this movie till I was in visiting family in Guatemala, which was must have been 1985. So really, I didn't see it till I was age eight, which is why I think it hit right, you know, went right through me, just got me at the right moment. But but I think there's something to that point where I think. If you catch it too young, you may not care, you know, make a sense of it. If you catch too old, you might be too cool for school. So that that age group, say, you know, like seven to about 10, 11, probably the prime age for it to hit you right in all the fields. And I, I love this opening shot um, with the Star Destroyer and the shuttle. Um, the shuttle was the coolest thing. Um, I want to go digging into some, like, uh, news clippings and did did, like... The old people in 1983, did they get really ticked off that there was a just another Death Star? Did, were they mad that it was a rehash? 
I remember at 10 years old, I was like, oh my gosh, they made a new Death Star. You know what I mean? I want to know if, if, if there were net nerds back then, would they have been mad that there was a second Death Star? Or were they mad? I don't remember when I became annoyed by the concept, but eventually at some point I did, I think in my adolescence and it was just, it was a little much for me. But again, I watched this movie for the first time when I was so young that I don't even remember my first viewing. Um, at all of this movie the only thing i know the only thing i remember is that i was obsessed with it it's like it like seeped into my brain like immediately and then was just there um all the toys all the merchandise merchandising merchandise you know um everything um and it was because of this movie more so than the other two and um but yeah i but oddly enough i don't remember going to the theater to watch this i'm pretty sure we must have because vhs was still sort of out there we didn't have a vhs player for a while might have watched it on hbo i don't know pretty sure my first viewing was in pardon me south dakota with my dad i was on a business trip with him and we went to see it so i remember getting a wicket uh t-shirt at the mall um so uh I also, I loved the, um, I mean, the shot here of, you know, all the stormtroopers and everything when Vader arrives, the pomp and circumstance that there is. Um, and then later when the emperor goes in there, but I mean, this is also the first time that we get a hint of the emperor being frightening to somebody because the emperor is coming It's like the boss is coming in. Um, but it's more than that. So it's just a neat little beginning to this movie that's one thing that i noticed too is that uh, vader's uh, pomp is much less than the emperor's uh he has much mm-hmm. less ego to uh impress well i'm sure you know what okay so this is our head canon would that be you know is it his ego or is it the emperor's ego saying that oh, he yeah. he only gets a squad whereas <laughs> i get you know an entire garrison you know whatever i don't know um yeah. What it is, I think, in a certain way, there you know, the imperial army is accustomed to seeing Vader, to Vader coming and going because he's the emperor's right hand, whereas the emperor primarily stays in Coruscant. It's the difference between, say, uh, Secretary of State or Defense traveling to sure. somewhere on the globe versus the president showing up. All of a sudden, you have to do or or you know somebody of that nature. It's uh, and triple so for Emperor Palpatine who love showmanship so it's those little details though right like they get those things right like they're just the fact that they realized when they were making this movie it's like well no the emperor as many guys yeah turnout should be much bigger so uh and we're now we're back on tatooine and would the did the net nerds get really mad in 1983 that we're back on tatooine or is it just because we've gone to tatooine so many times since then i don't know um but again i remember not caring. I mean, it made sense because we talked about Jabba the Hutt back in the, uh, you know, the first movie and that was on Tatooine. So it made sense that we're there. And if you remember Empire Strikes Back ends with Luke saying, I'll meet you at the rendezvous point on Tatooine. Yeah. So we're already being led to believe we're going to have to go back there at some point. 
yeah it, yeah i don't recall it bothering me um but I, yeah it, i think part of the reason too is it's so different mm -hmm. i mean like um six-year-old me may not have even put it together that this was the same planet if i wasn't paying super close attention well and uh, you know hasn't george lucas always and everybody's always said these movies are for kids so mm -hmm. it's like if you make if you make things too big then it it's difficult to grasp you know it's like keep them in places that are familiar then you can introduce new stuff in familiar places um i love this little interaction gift what gift <laughs> 3po is out of the loop um I also think in a certain way, uh, kind of like you're saying about the quote unquote, the net nerds. I mean, I, you know, geek and nerd culture existed back then, no doubt. But the internet has allowed it to coalesce and a lot of the similar opinions find their way, you know, whether they're good or the bad. Uh, I think also just by the nature of this being, I, I always look at Jedi as the moment where I think George kind of figured out the formula. Like yeah. Star Wars, the first Star Wars was just experimental, shot in the dark, we'll figure it out, we'll we'll sort it out as we're going along. And then the second one was all about proving that it wasn't just a one-time fluke, and it went dark, and it went serious. And I think this is the one where they finally kind of find the balance between the silliness and the seriousness, between all the otherworldliness that George wants to put into this stuff, and kind of like you said, the touchstones that you have to build for the audience so that they don't feel like they're lost in the middle of all this. So I always look at Jedi's, you know, and on top of that, all the merchandise of this one, you know, if you didn't have a Return of the Jedi lunchbox, action figure t-shirt, you skip 1983. I think the one thing too, um, I love this idea. I've written about this idea. You can check it out on my blog, you know, um, but like, I, I think we'll circle back to this. This is just like, yeah, this is where they, 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 they're innovating their way into formula here. Mm -hmm. They've got all these new problems that they're trying to solve that they've, most of them of their own making uh, with visual effects, et cetera. But again, it's like, we're, we're, we're beginning to see the outline here now. You're beginning to see like, oh, okay. So you're going to have the monster attack. You're going to have, um, the big finale where you're jumping from place to place across multiple uh, characters' perspectives. Um, you know, it's not quite formulaic, but, you know, like, we're trending that way. And I think, like, when people get, like, hung up on Star Wars needing to be a certain way, they're probably thinking about this particular stretch of films um empire return of the jedi phantom menace um all really similar to each other in structure so we just <clears throat> pardon me we just saw luke in hologram form and i remember 10 year old aaron was just as and 50 year old aaron are still of the same mind that the the character of the portrayal of luke was like a dramatic shift it's it, it's just almost to i mean because you know he, he was kind of um kind of a hothead in the first two and then all of a sudden he's a priest 
And it's like, what, what happened here? You know, you know what I mean? It's just, and and it almost makes me feel like is, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, for him to say, you know, I'm a Jedi and later on Yoda laughs at him, you know, and so everybody laughs at him every time he says he's a Jedi, you know, is he like, I have to, I have to pretend like I'm a Jedi, you know, so I have to, it's like, I'm a teacher now. I must wear a tie. I don't know. And by the way, the droid like screaming because the hot plate is hitting its feet is that upsets 50 year old Aaron. Anyway, go (laughs) ahead. I was going to say, who's the one person who does not laugh at Luke when he says I'm a Jedi? Palpatine. That's Palpatine. Yeah. Gets ticked. Um, I think it's, um, the thing about that too, that um, I would, I'm right there with you. It's a dramatic shift, and I I know that like part of what you're after here at the, in the opening sequences when you first see him is we're cluing you into the fact that Luke could turn to the dark side. Yeah, I mean even his, the visual aspect is all yeah, black. His yeah. outfit, the fact that he's choking people, the fact that he's like out here like wailing people and destroying things. It's just like okay broadcasting that to the audience that this is a possibility um so that when you get to the end of the movie it's more it's a more dramatic sequence um but like to your point though this is sort of an awkward shift for him he's much more serious like you said he's he's almost a religious figure i actually really sort of even though I don't like the effects so much, I do sort of appreciate the new appearances of Luke that we've gotten in uh, Mando and Book of Boba Fett um, because at least it sort of offers more of that character in that space so that you get a little more used to it, I think. Oh, yes. Now Now it's time for, I mean... I, I am generally in favor of the special editions, except for Jedi Rocks. This was just awful. Um, well, particularly because it brings the entire movie to a screeching halt. Like, this had, this had neither advances the plot, nor world builds, nor does anything that it didn't make the it movie better. Just, it didn't make the movie exactly. better. It's like, you know. I get that you were dealing with Muppets, but I mean, it just did not make the movie any better. Loppy Neck was just fine, but, but we need to but make this also, a video podcast. I mean, look, look at the scene we just had where 3PO and R2 being taken to the droid you know, overseer by the by the guards and they're torturing the gunk droid and whatnot. Not a single human character in that environment and yet that felt appropriate. Nobody's laughing at the effects. Everybody's either in costume or in a, or the practical effect. And it works. And again, it doesn't bring the movie, it doesn't do what Jedi Rocks does, which is, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's slam on the brakes and have a, a musical uh, interlude. No, here's your special guest, Foo Fighters. You know, and, and showing Ula in the Rancor pit did nothing as well. And it's like what we talked about last week. I think about the hit, you know, the, the Hitchcock nature of, you know, star Wars, like when she went into the pit in the original, um, and all you heard was a roar and people gasping. It was like, you know, your Mm -hmm. imagination was getting the, but now that, I mean, I don't know. It was, 
again, didn't really need to. Um, and you know, it's 83 because Chewbacca has a lot of Aquanet in his, in his, uh, hair. So well, we're back to, um, what I was talking about briefly earlier, which is that they've created problems for themselves and then they have to solve the problem that they themselves created. And that's what George did here with Jedi rocks. He created this awkward shift in tone and it's like, Oh no, we got to shift back to watching Ula get murdered. So it's like, uh, okay, so we'll add a scene. So it's not quite so jarring a thing. And it's like, well, if you had just sort of left all that alone, you wouldn't have had that issue. And we always, sorry, uh, we always got to remember that the special editions are the proof of concept for the prequels. So yeah. a lot of the stuff that he's throwing in here is saying, can I do this now? Can I build entirely CGI characters, splice them into stuff that was shot on a set with real life actors and props? And kind of have it work. So I always remember back to seeing a special edition going, oh, this is neat, this is neat. But you're right. There's a lot of stuff in here that feels like we really, it doesn't help the movies themselves, but that it's almost like George testing out whether or not he can do stuff. And I'm like, I'm not necessarily against that as a, as a concept, but I am when it takes away from the enjoyment of the finished product that you're putting on the screen. Because ultimately, this has to live on its own. I will say um, two shout outs. I've mentioned these books before on this podcast. Um, Tales from Jabba's Palace. It's a it's a legends thing. It's, a, you know, little vignettes of all the different characters in Jabba's Palace. Really just kind of like from a certain point of view. Cool book. Also, Shadows of the Empire. Sorry, I dug that book. And especially, you know, linking it, it you know, helps to explain how Leia got this, you know, bounty hunter outfit um, just bridges that gap between Empire and Jedi, which, I mean, kind of an important gap. But uh, so, like I said, just a couple of good books that I think just kind of make this whole. By the way, I do want to say one thing, one criticism. Um, mm-hmm. We spend an awful lot of time in Jabba's palace in this movie. Kind you know, of, I mean, which is kind of when people kind of part of. People, no, sorry. People talk about the lack of cutaways in Ahsoka. It's like, can we talk about Return of the Jedi here? Because it's like, it's it's like every day. See, we just have to see the <laughs> frog eat the worm outside Jabba's palace, so we can have more stuff happening in Jabba's palace. Anyway, spent a lot of time here. But but I also think what's interesting about this movie is that it's having to pay off a lot of stuff that was introduced in the first two. Yeah, particularly Empire. You know, like we know that there's a criminal underworld from meeting uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca at the cantina and knowing that they're smugglers and knowing that there's this prime lord Jabba looking for him, but he's got to pay off. that get further discussed in Empire. So much the same way, kind of like the Emperor is finally getting paid off here with his full presence. You kind of have to have built up the idea of Jabba and what a threat bad guy he is. So it makes sense. You are right, though. From the moment we see 3PO and R2 heading towards his palace till this gets resolved, this is the entire movie. There's nothing else happening. And by the way, that is weird. Can we talk about how the leader of the rebellion and the, you know, future, future general and, you know, leader of the resistance 
bangs into wind chimes when she's sneaking in, breaking into the crime lord's palace. I mean, anyway. Not her best moment. <laughs> no. Um, I, so I like Boosh, right? That's the name of the character? I always the, said Bausch. Bausch. Uh, I don't know. Boosh. Um, I like the whole design of it, and I yeah. like that sequence with the thermal detonator. First time we ever how... hear the words thermal detonator, by the way. Yes. Yeah, yeah there you go. And I like... But I always picked up on this uh, jealousy from Boba Fett, where yeah. he's like, "I like this bounty hunter." You know, Jabba's like raving about how great this new bounty hunter is, and and Boba's just like, "What? What are you doing here?" And uh, well, I was, I was like that moment, and uh, but just to circle back to Boba Fett, like going out like a bee here soon, um, and that build up from empire and for a lot of people is a huge disappointment but i guess i'm putting the cart before the horse no but i was gonna say it creates an interesting dynamic because uh boba fett's kind of top dog because he brought in han solo but bausch or bush is bringing in chewbacca who everybody knows is the real muscle in that operation you know <laughs> you know if you're gonna take on one you take on han because han's the human Chewie's the hard one to get, and this guy got it, or this being got it. And now, surprise, surprise, so, somehow the bigger, biggest crime lord in the galaxy snuck up on everybody. It should be, like, to your point, it should be a good set of sell that, mm-hmm. like, oh, she took down Chewbacca. Okay. The, um, but. <laughs> They immediately think, sniff it out. And... Well, that's the thing. How do you think? How do you think Jabba? Well, we don't spend too much time. How do you think Jabba figured everything out? I mean, it, was it hitting the wind chimes? Somebody's breaking in. I don't think so. You know, it's, um, you know, it's one of those well, things. I mean... It's one of those things where I, I was thinking about this just a few minutes ago when we first saw R two. You know, well, no, when they when they took R two and three PO down to Eve ninety nine, and said, "Fit this one with a restraining bolt." You know, it's like I'm thinking. Man, how stupid is Jabba to not like plug R2 into something and figure out what he's got in his memory banks? Maybe he did. Maybe mm-hmm. I mean maybe we could write a book about that. Maybe he he got some intel, you know, off of that. Um, so uh, to um, your point, uh, no, but to your point, right quick, just think about it. We just saw one of the leaders of the Rebel Alliance in the hands of a notorious crime lord by her own choice, by her own uh, actions. Which, if you're in the Rebel Alliance, you're like, wait a minute, what the heck are you doing? Let us send some people in who can get Han out. You don't need to go, but here she is, you know, joining the pack. This uh, scene between Chewie and Han is just, I love this scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, you know, best friends reunited. You know, it's uh, it's the first time you see, well, no, it's the second time. The first time you see, you know, Chewie's, you know, love for his friend was in empire and you know now it, you know, it's even more so here so uh, i always call that scene that you get back home after a long trip and your dog's there to preach you nobody tried to ship chewbacca and han just saying so now things get interesting here with here we get uh, luke coming into um jabba's palace and i don't know if it hit me I don't know if it hit me in first viewing that, I mean, it was obvious he was choking 
the Gamorrean guards, but I didn't know. I don't know if I went like, oh, he, he shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if I thought yeah. that. I don't know if I thought it was like, he, Jedi shouldn't be doing that. Um, it might be because they're animalistic a little bit. You know, these, these pig looking dudes, they don't look human. And that makes it a, maybe a little less. And by the way, I'm sorry. Know, the real. other thing, ten year old, ten year old Aaron didn't mind uh, Princess Leia in the gold bikini, but fifty year old Aaron is like going, "Yeah, I probably didn't need that." Uh, but anyway, <laughs> point I'll say to that is, there's a reason it became so iconic. But Dave, because I think there's a whole generation of ten year old Aaron's who never got over it. Dave, to your point, maybe I mean maybe it's that the, you're saying that you know, they're they're animals so maybe it's not that big a deal is that kind of what you were saying the the, the pig guards I think to a 10 year old maybe yeah maybe you know? but uh it was it was obvious though to 10 year old aaron that oh my gosh luke's a lot stronger because he's choking people and he's using jedi mind tricks um so um and salacious crumb i love salacious crumb as well just mm-hmm. Uh, I want to think back. What was, was I want to say if it was Empire of Dreams or not? You know that Luke, I mean, or Mark Hamill. I'm sorry, was suggesting to uh, George about how by this movie he should have like a giant star. You know, or, you know, he should look battle hardened. He should look like like he's been through some stuff. And yet George didn't quite go that far with the character, which is interesting because, you know, I mean, both Mark and Harrison had their own ideas for their characters. Harrison thought. Han should be staying in Carbonite forever. And Mark's thinking, no, no, make me tough. Make me look like a tough dude. And they don't for either. It has always hit me that he seems extremely cocky in this scene. I was, and again, is that to Dave's point about, is that, no, to Dave's point about, you know, he could turn to the dark side. I mean, that's not a very Jedi, well, I guess Obi-Wan's kind of cocky in the Clone Wars. So, (laughs) I mean... Like I said, like his dad, like Anakin. I mean, because Anakin's quite cocky throughout the prequels, the Clone Wars, everything, every bit of it. Uh, wait, what, what was he reaching for the blaster there? What was he thinking of doing? Probably going to shoot uh, Jabba. I guess. I mean, Is put, that a Jedi thing? Put a, Well, I mean, it's... I, yeah, I, I, that's the thing, is that that always has bothered me, actually, is that, you know, I'm, I'm a Jedi master, but why? Who, who died and made you Pope? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> as it turns out, it is a bluff. He's not there yet. He was just saying that, and then when he goes and he talks to Yoda after we find out, yeah. That, I mean, but, the whole th- um, the whole thing here is just yeah, just using anything they can to get to get Han. Um, okay, so they threw everything against the wall, right? So like literally, like this is like a plate of spaghetti. They're like, we're gonna send in Lando. We're gonna send in Leia. We're gonna send in the droids. We're gonna. Uh, I guess we're going to eventually send in Luke if none of that works. And then we're going to try for a blaster. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to fight the rank. It's just like the plan here sucks. <laughs> so looking at the Rancor and Jabba, and, well, especially the Rancor, because the Rancor was shot in, in stop motion. Why does that from 1983 look so much better than the sand thing from Book of Boba Fett? that reminded us all of clash of the Titans or whatever, you know, you oh, know I loved the sand thing. But, yes. But, uh, but it, it looked like it was filmed in 1962, 
you know, it just was, it just, I don't know if people don't do stop motion very well anymore because it's not the, the t- I mean, that's, that was Phil Tippett's thing, you know, but, uh, I don't know. This just looks, it, I mean, it's still, yes, you can tell it's a puppet, but it looks good. And I also think, I mean, this is one of the things where the special editions, you know, really came to the rescue. They did such a good job of recognizing, because obviously this is a live action shot of an actor in a set, and then they're transposing, putting on top no. the stop motion animation. Oh, yeah, you're talking you know, from this creature. So, okay, yeah. Right, right, exactly. But, you know, and if you remember seeing it in the movie theaters in 83, it did have that Ray Harryhausen feel, whereas... Oh, yeah. Whereas by 1997, they've, the computer technology has gotten to the point where they can kind of splice it in a, and fix it in such a way so that it looks more natural. And obviously, every time it's made a jump to another medium, they've cleaned it up a little bit. So it always looks a little bit better. But I also think it's just simply they took the time and care back then because they knew there was going to be limitations. Whereas now, maybe the computer technology allows them to think they can, they can fix everything in post. My my memories of this movie and the special effects in this movie were, wow, those are really incredible for me, you know, six-year-old guy. By the mm-hmm. time I was a teenager, they didn't, they didn't hold up. And you could see, like, outlines, like the, the Rancor, we were just talking about, oh, that looks great, right? Um, you could see but, in that black outline yeah. around the Rancor at all times in the original mm-hmm. um, effects, and, and they cleaned that up, so... Uh, Array special uh, uh, edition for that. By, by, no, gonna, go ahead, Fredo. No, I was just going to say, I remember Rick McCallum saying that it turned a special edition DVD, saying how much time they had to take because so many, particularly Empire and Jedi, special effects are done in daylight. And how much, much harder it is to do all these composite shots, all these special effects when you're doing it in the snow or in the brightness. You know, we know if you're shooting stuff in space, you can hide those black outlines. You can't really do that if everybody's standing in a desert or in a the snow. Love the banter between Han and Luke, you know, and 3PO giving their sentence and everything like that. Um, and I feel that's what they were trying to go for in Rise of Skywalker. But it was like and it was like too, clones, it was like too right? little, too late for Rise of Skywalker because they separated everybody so much. You know, I don't know. Um, well, we, this, to your point, yes, because you know we introduce all three of them in A New Hope, and yes, they get separated in Empire, but because they've already established a relationship to the point that uh, Han is willing to die rescuing Luke, and Luke is willing to risk his own life to come back and rescue Han and Leia you come to see them as, okay, they know each other, they're friends. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Force Awakens did not bring all three together. They just had, you know, either Finn and Poe or Finn and Rey. You know, likewise, uh, Last Jedi did the same thing. Actually, Last Jedi kept them all three apart. And then uh, it's not till Rise of Skywalker, and you can't just build that banter. People are not going to believe that you built that banter like that. You can guarantee that if I built an R2 that I would have the bar set up on his shoulders. R2-D2 serving drinks was like the most awesome thing. I can uh, sell it for you at Troy Depot. <laughs> R2 gets a lot of fun uh, stuff in the opening few scenes here. And I, I liked um, 
that uh, we you were talking about uh earlier in the hallway where he was all spooked with he was uh he was dealing with uh Jabba's assistant and uh it was I remember the uh bad lip reading uh stranger danger yeah. stranger <laughs> danger I loved that so much I swear to god Jabba's drinking a Pepsi here I don't it looks like mm-hmm. a Pepsi to me well, I don't I, know why man they made they made him they took him to the creepy level by you know getting all up in Leia's business. Um, I just love that. What are you doing? Oh, I'm yeah. serving drinks. Well, of course you're serving drinks. I mean, like, R2 is like, dude, you know, duh. Um, all right, now we're getting to Aaron's complaint. All right, no, no. Before you complain, before you complain right there, just right quick, speaking about Jabba's creepiness, where do you think he, find, he had, did he have that gold bikini outfit just waiting for Leia to drop well, by. We'll talk about another outfit later on that you know. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Always you know, wondered about. Is everybody, you know, Princess Leia might be coming by. Have something ready for her. So yeah, the whole thing is weird. Uh, he's he's weird and creepy, but I guess that's the point, right? He's supposed to be weird and creepy, and then um, you know, so Snoke what she does, what she does. Up, so Snoke took up the mantle in the in the yeah. sequel trilogy from him. So let's talk about, you know, because I love, again, I just love the banter of Han Solo, you know, yelling at Jabba and everything. But all right. So the deleted scene of Luke building his lightsaber and putting it into R2 um, that everybody thinks should have been left in the movie. And I think if you would have done that, it would have taken away this incredible moment. Because again, 10 year old Aaron was over the moon. Mm-hmm. when you see the lightsaber pop out of R2's dome and then you know then the fight ensues if we know it's there then we're waiting for it the whole time we don't you know we know that Luke's going to be saved you know we know that he's he's got an ace in the hole type of a thing um I don't know where do you guys stand should that scene have been left in I could see where you could kind of shove film it or cut it before you um you show R2 right next to him. So you don't have to show that what he's you know where it, where he is, what he's doing. But at the same time I also think I agree with you. Uh, I think this moment plays a heck of a lot better if you don't know what's coming, if you don't know why R2 is there. And it's not to see the lightsaber in the air and Luke back doing a backflip in order to, you know, grab it as it gets to him. You know, the music swells is just like, okay, this is what you came here for. And the moment works perfectly. So hey, I wouldn't get rid of it. And meanwhile, we're coming up to probably uh, uh, Dave's uh, point of uh, contention. <laughs> well, it wasn't even that bad for me personally, but I know a lot of people build them up and then he's like nothing, right? He gets taken out you're by talk, a You're talking about and... Boba Fett. So for, yeah. for those of you not watching, yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was going to ask that question as well. Do you think that they could have given Boba Fett a little bit better of an exit? They could have I mean, done a lot of things differently here. They nerfed most of the heroes. They just took them off the board, right? Yeah. Um, Han's blind. Chewie's injured. Lando's, Lando's useless. Yeah. Yeah, dangling and over a pit. Um, it's Luke and Leia's show. Holy cow. Sorry. I'm going to pause real quick. The Pelicans are beating the Pistons 72 to 49 at halftime. Anyway, keep, so keep going. Um, it's Luke and Lance show, for better or worse. Yeah. 
Um, but I, th and I think that's by design, Dave. I think that the, the, the idea there is to show how strong Luke has got in the Force, that he is a Jedi and everything but name, so that he can take on this and kind of show you all he can do. Because normally, you're right, normally this would be Han be involved, Chewie well, be involved, Lando be involved, and they're all just off on their little corner trying to sort out how to avoid getting eaten alive. So let's let's throw some controversy into this then. To that point, Dave, you said they kind of nerfed all the heroes. Let's just talk about one in particular, Han Solo. Throughout mm -hmm. this whole movie, should yeah. they have just flat out killed him off and made him a sacrifice in Empire like Harrison Ford wanted, would that have been more powerful to the story? Because really in Return of the Jedi, he's piloting a ship and he's, you know, not really an effective leader on Endor later. I mean, he's part of the fight, but I mean, you know what I mean? I, I don't mm -hmm. mean to make any Han Solo fans mad, but you know, would it have been better for his character development to make him a sacrifice? I liked seeing him sort of cast aside his past and have that opportunity to sure i mean he'd already previously sort of redeemed himself right and that's the storyline but like he goes even further with it here as a scoundrel capable of love and that's a good point. he is and i like i like that whole story between the two of them i thought i thought that was nice uh and i've always thought it was nice i don't I, yeah, I always thought I always thought Harrison was nuts for that. I mean, I sort of get it, but like, know, the kids love this character. For for most people who watched A New Hope the very first time, you either adopted Luke or Han as your as your guy, mm -hmm. and I was a Han kid. And yeah, so, like, for them to just like kill him off, you're you're alienating like a. You know, not half your audience because there were all the Leia girls. Um, but, you know, a third of your audience, you're, you're alienating a third of your audience that, that that was identified with Han and loved Han. That's no good. So just right quick, uh, we just, uh, as we see them kind of getting away finally, um, yeah, I love the little callback to the swinging uh, Luke and Leia did in A New Hope. Across the chasm, they call back to that here. Well, that, it was also it was also very pirate genre, you know. This mm, was yeah, no. Errol Again, Flynn, it's, you it's know. Yeah, it was, yeah, Captain Blood stuff, right? Uh, but today, but to that question, I, I kind of see what you're coming from, Aaron. In terms of you're right in the, in this movie, in terms of his actions, he's really and full, full disclosure. I'm not saying they should have. I was just stirring no, the pot. No, no. So no, no, but I'm saying is, you know, you you know, he's not even riding shotgun. He's in the back of the car. Yeah. Luke is driving the story, and Leia is, uh, is, is riding shotgun. Uh, but at the same time, I do. I mean, I like the character. I, I love the journey that he goes through. Kind of like uh, David say, I, I always felt like they try to build a mystery in this movie about maybe one of them would die, because they right. did later on. We're gonna get that little interaction between him and Lando. And I think there was a point where they thought maybe Lando and the Millennium Falcon would fix, die destroying the Death Star, kind of redeeming him for his betrayal in Empire. And so, but so that idea that any one of them could have died at the end is kind of intriguing. So, but at the same time, I would hate to have missed out on this character because I think maybe Harrison felt like he didn't have anything to contribute, but he, his charm and his personality 
is needed to balance everything else out, like like this right here with uh, finally getting to meet Palpy. And by the way, can we back up a second? When you know that mm-hmm. opening shot where you see the shuttle in the landing bay, the 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 way ILM uses or used matte paintings was incredible. Just saying. I mean that that shot mm-hmm. looks like it was filmed on location. It was a matte painting. Um, so uh, yeah, the the entrance of the emperor. This was. Uh, I mean, this was kind of a cool deal again to 10 year old Aaron. It was like, wow. I mean, so, but I wonder, wonder how it plays F to somebody who's now seen episode one, you know, episode one, two, three, all of clone wars. And, you know, that's, that's the thing is like, when, 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 so where is that shock value, you know, replaced, you know what I mean? For, for us, it was return of the Jedi um, but anyway, I have a more important thing, another bit of controversy here, because we're on Dagobah now. And before we came, before before we logged on to record this, um, I told uh, Brittany and I were talking, we we're eating dinner. And I, she said, what are you guys talking about on the podcast? And I said, well, we're watching Return of the Jedi. I said, you know what? She said, I got a question. I said, how come everybody gets on Luke in or gets on the fact that the the that ryan johnson had luke and, well and i guess uh um jj abrams as well luke run away to an island give up and run away but nobody gets on yoda for giving up and running away to dagobah she said because that's exactly what he did he didn't fight he didn't he could have joined the fight he he stayed hidden and didn't do anything except, you know, have Skype calls with Ezra every now and again, or, you know, but that, that is an interesting thing. Again, it's like nobody, nobody faults Yoda for what he did. And he's the, probably the greatest of all Jedi masters, but by gosh, you do it with Luke. And, you know, again, I guess I'm defending, I'm defending the last Jedi again. So no, I think, and it's an it's an excellent point. It's an excellent question. I think it comes down to the difference of we've only ever until the prequels we had only ever seen Yoda here and Dagobah. So we always assumed that he's like existed here or that he was here and that you know this is his natural habitat. Whereas with Luke, we've seen him be rebellious, be uh, confrontational, be more direct in his actions, like running off to face off the danger. Uh, and that, so that juxtaposition where we get to see him in Last Jedi, it, it kind of created a divergence in our mind as to who this character was, which to me was never an issue. It's just, there's the same character now with 30 years of guilt. If, so, if I would, I would, I would, I would give you an A plus on that Fredo if it wasn't for the fact that they filmed episodes one, two, and three and shot all of the clone wars, you know, before, before they made the last Jedi. So mm-hmm. it's like, there's a, there's a hypocrisy in the, in the critique. And that, that mm-hmm. is the thing. I just, yeah. you know, I just, it's kind of like, you know, if you're annoyed by Jar Jar, were you annoyed by C3PO? If you are, you know, it's, and I still think it's, an age thing but anyway mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like i said i think it's a, down to 
where we first met the character. We we tend to uh, assume that a character has always existed in the environment in which we first meet them, much the same way we tend to assume people are from wherever they're at when we've met them, not knowing their entire life's journey, so to speak. If somebody has a problem with Yoda in the same way that we they did Luke in Last Jedi, then I would say, well, at least you're consistent. Right. Um, but again, acknowledging Fredo's point, this problem did not exist until George made the prequels. <laughs> this, you know, he, in this movie, he's just a guy living in a swamp. Right. <laughs> That's all he is. Right. Um, and, and, and now, because of Revenge of the Sith, he's like a coward or something um but again like i think you're trying to make the opposite point which is that neither of them are cowards both of them understand that their their part in this story well, is different the, than being on the front lines they're, the the thing that i mean the, the point is is that people and i suppose whatever creature yoda is people are fallible People, you know, nobody is perfect. I think that's the point we're trying to make. And it's like when you try to, you know, the perfect character is also very boring, you know. So, um, I don't know, you know, and I also think about this, you know, it was necessary to uh, to give this reveal. But I think by the time I saw Return of the Jedi, it was like kind of, I guess I came to the, okay, you know. Yeah, Vader's Luke's father. I don't know. Um, well, okay, so I, 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 I don't know. You know, it's uh, it, it was uh, yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Well, this whole scene, he's talking about the last of the Jedi. Will you be? Do we want to open up that can of worms? Right when he says there's the another new stuff. Um, yeah, and, and there is another. Who's he talking about? This is like, oh, Leia. Is it? Ezra is it Ahsoka is it is it is it is it you know it's we're getting to a point of ridiculousness well that's why the the from a certain point of view Empire Strikes Back the conversation between Yoda and Obi-Wan and Yoda just being ticked off that he's he wanted to train Leia he wanted he wanted Leia to be trained not Luke and um that's just such an interesting little vignette there um by the way, Yoda's death here—it's just so well done. The music is well is great at this point. Um, what I love about it is that it's such a small moment. It's not this grandiose uh, reveal of force of power. It's not even because we're going to see a later death that has a gigantic whoosh of energy. You know, goes along with it, kind of bring a finality to him. That somehow no no way could anybody return from it, but somehow, Yoda's, somehow, yeah. But yet Yoda's is very much just a tranquil, you know, you know, peaceful, yeah. peaceful transition from living to being one with the Force. Which I think, in some ways, if you're talking about the death of a of a character that's beloved, probably better. When you're talking about you know you know particularly for kids, you know. There's, everybody remembers Bandy's death because it was so sudden and so ugly. This is probably the best way to do it to get kids to understand that he's gone, but not to in a way that's going to traumatize them. And uh, here is where Obi-Wan says the line that just 
I think started retconning from the, you know, from what I told you is true from a certain point of view. And Luke's reaction, I think, was everybody's reaction. And by the way, I do want to say, really, does a force ghost need to sit down on a log? But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the actor playing him does. I out of this nonsense. They they did such a good job, I guess. You know, well, I mean, they were obviously making up this story as they went. I don't, I don't. If again, I come back to if Luke and Leia were honestly brother and sister from the get go. There's no way in heck that George Lucas would have let Irvin Kershner film as deep of a kissing scene as they did in Empire Strikes Back. There's no way. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's a, and a lot of his backstory is you know made up as they go along. Um, and again, I, you talk to this idea of well, okay, we did this thing, so now we have to do this other thing. You sort of paint yourself into these corners, and um, when when you talk about the execution of the prequels, and if you're not a fan of what we got. I'd say go back and watch some of this dialogue in these three first movies because it's 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 all there and 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 George is like I got to do it this I got to do it this way um, and I've got to I got to make sure I fulfill this part of it uh, he's got to be a good pilot uh, Obi Wan has to be the one that trains him uh, you know like all these sorts of check boxes and um, you know, you know, there were other choices that, that could have been made, other creative decisions that could have been made ultimately. But um, this is this is where you you know this this is the start of it. This is the genesis uh, of this. I also like the uh, I can't remember who said it originally, but when he said that's why your sister remains safely anonymous. Leia's my sister. Oh, your insight serves you well. Well, that and she's the only woman in this movie. So <laughs> in any of these movies. Um, yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine if uh, Ben had said, "Well, your sister is a Twilight dancer at Jabba's palace. Go rescue her." It would be like, "Ooh, ooh." So uh, that wouldn't have been good. No, <laughs> they had to though, right? Because of exactly what you said. Like, she's the only main female character. Once you have that reveal, it's like, "Well, okay, yeah, fine, okay, you guessed it." And and we've established that there was a bit of a rivalry between Han and Luke for Leia. And we need a resolution that has everybody happy. Right. Resolve. It's resolved. Mon Mon. Well, we really don't don't talk. I mean, I know we mentioned it during Andrew, but Catherine O'Reilly, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy O'Reilly, uh, the actress uh, who plays Mon Mothma now. He has done such a tremendous job with that character because this is the only moment we see him on Mothman in all the movies. Right. And she's expanded the heck out of that character. Expanded the heck out of it and also kept this character consistent. Mm-hmm. So watching Return of the Jedi, it doesn't throw you off. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So did a good mm-hmm. job, like I said, at keeping it consistent. Um, by the way, friend of mine, uh, best friend in you know, through elementary, through high school, one of my best friends, one Halloween, he dressed as Admiral Akbar, and had a just, it was an awesome costume. It probably was 1983 or 84, maybe, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, was he saying the line a lot of the time, or uh, it was <laughs> was it even a thing at that point? Um, I don't know if it was a thing at that point. Um, but anyway, no, it was I mean, more he of was, an internet thing eventually, right? He was also the friend that had all the cool Star Wars toys. Um, oh, but don't the, you hate that guy? Don't you? Don't you just hate the one person's got every, love, every Star Wars toy? To like house. they got love. the whole Kenner line. Um, General Maydine. Yeah, I mean, they even they even make like a faculty meeting really kind of interesting in this uh, in this movie, you know. Um, yeah. I like how nobody knows what's going on within there. Don't you think that if wouldn't you tell the love of your life that yeah, hey, I'm gonna, uh, you know, this is new to him. <laughs> He's kind of an idiot. I literally just got rescued from death from carbonite freezing from certain death at the Sarlacc pit. Sure, let, let me double the double my chances of triple my odds of not making it out alive by volunteering on a suicide mission. Well, I do think that's in character. Exactly. It's it's the one thing we know that he loves to do. Yeah. So, like, that does make sense. But then, like, him not telling her and it, it coming together so quickly. I don't, we don't know how much time has passed here. Maybe a few days. Um, it's odd. But you know but you know what? It goes to a point that we've made about The uh, Force Awakens and how the fall of Ben leads them all back to fall back into old habits. So, of course, his son turning to the dark side becoming Kylo Ren would lead Leia to become more the general and would lead Han to go back to being this guy. By the no, way, to me, this is the most obvious matte painting. Yes, it is. The, it is. Yeah. I would hand it looks like a seventh grade project. Yes, this one is bad. I will give you that one. Anyway, continue, Fredo. No, no, but yeah, no, it's it's that idea of he's you know, he being rescued, the love of his friends, uh, the life that he's now found himself in, has taken him away from that character that we met at the cantina. But when things got bad, it's that's the character he reverted back to, because that was the easiest thing for him to do in a moment of tragedy. By the way, I love how rebels we've talked about it before. I loved how rebels just kept the like. Why do they keep letting us steal these things? You know, I mean, it's like the, the rebels have been <laughs> stealing the these shuttles, you know, for forever. They must be like the the Kias and the Hyundai's of you know the Star Wars universe. Well, remember, they're supposed to be Imperial military shuttle. You look at most military craft, they all look primarily the same, but they're fulfilling the same function, and they buy in bulk. So, yeah, not surprising. But yeah, Rebel's joke was perfect. It's like, you know, they let us steal, keep seeing steal these ones. Like, I thought it was the same one. So, all right, so we're back to the Death Star. There's the rhyming too in uh, Rogue One of this idea of sneaking in through an, uh, the shield in an Imperial shuttle. And uh, I like that. But yeah, and of course, we're back to the Emperor. And of course, Palpy would sniff that out. Mm. He's seen it. Mm-hmm. He's seen it coming. Yeah. That was first rodeo, seen it. But yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. All these little scenes between the Emperor and the Vader, and Vader, they're very short. They're very short, and then we're 
off to doing other things. Um, so I find that's, that makes the whole suspense and what's going on here, you know, they, they could have made those scenes longer. And so it's, you know, in giving away a lot more of what the empire has planned. So I thought, I thought it was really good that they just keep those things short. It moves things along. It's different than Jabba's palace. That's for sure. Um, do you think, do you think it's also within, you know, the story, a way of kind of separating the Emperor and Vader because the Emperor knows Luke is coming and at some point I got to get Luke to turn and be, I'm going to betray Vader. Oh, I think, like, I think, I think Emperor is absolutely being a puppet master through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I think he wasn't lying later on in the movie when he says everything's going as, you know, I've, as I've planned. I mean, so everything, everything is by his design here. He just was not anticipating Vader turning on him. So right, but but what I mean is like he's not talking a lot with Vader. He sends him away to be at the uh, Superstar Destroyer. And when Vader comes back to tell him that Luke is here, he's gonna be all take it ticked off because it's like I told you to be over there. Don't be here. Yeah. Maybe there's a worry about the kind of power that Darth Vader still has, and Mm. maybe him letting some of his plans slip. Yeah, I like this connection between Luke and and okay, so that's another thing. Luke knows that he and Vader have a connection from Empire because they were talking to each other, you know, telepathically. So, yeah, why does he get on the ship? You you are endangering the mission. You shouldn't have come. You know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. so he should he should have known better. He should have known to keep his butt back on home one, you know, because the last time he ran and tried to save his friends, you know, all didn't work that well on cloud city. So that makes you wonder is, is the force putting all of these things? Should we start talking about fate and destiny? Were these things, you know, preordained to be happening or do people make their own choices and suffer the consequences? What if, you know, Fredo, you mentioned in our private chat, like Star Wars, what if? What if Luke would have just stayed on Dagobah? I'm just going right. to make a home here and take a vacation. But, but also yeah. when you consider, I mean, when you think about Luke, we, first of all, they're about to attack a Death Star. Who's the only pilot that the, um, uh, that the Rebellion has, has uh, experience about destroying a Death Star? Is Wedge and him. So you would think that him being the best pilot that the Rebellion have, he would be the guy in charge of all the uh, fighters and whatnot. But nope, here he is going through the woods. I I come at it from a completely different perspective, and which is that he's completely justified in doing this because Yoda told him that he needed to confront Vader. He had to. Yeah. And how's he going <clears> to <throat> confront Vader? He has to connect with him somehow. So and this is how he gets and through their shields, through their defenses, so that he can eventually meet up with Vader. Well, that makes again, a line interesting from Empire. You said, and sacrifice Han and Leia. He said, if you value what they fight for, then yes. yes. So that's what he's kind of doing, is sacrificing Han and Leia so he can get the bigger bad. You know, it's maybe he didn't think any of this through. And I uh, think like I that's a running theme, right? Like the their mission at Jabba's Palace early on, it just seemed really ill-conceived 
Uh, and then Luke didn't really consider the ramifications until he's sitting in that shuttle and he's connecting with Vader. It's like, oh gosh, I'm putting these other people in danger by doing this, aren't I? But it's just like, you know, he he needed to do it. Yeah. He had to. By the way, uh, the design of the biker scouts, very cool. The speeder bikes, awesome. And this whole, you know, chase through the forest. What I like about this versus the trench run is because we can all imagine if we're like riding a horse through a forest and a tree branch, you know, is too low and you might get your head knocked off, you know, type of it. This is because we've all seen trees and been around trees. We can recognize the danger, I suppose. Or if you've mm-hmm. ridden your, your dirt bike through things, I don't know. Um, but I just, I just dug this, uh, this sequence. Yeah. That's the other part. They're exposed. They're not in like mm-hmm. a cockpit where right. they're covered up. They were just on a bike. And, and even for 1983, they do a great job of building that sense of speed on these vehicles, on these Peter bikes. You know, it's not like you, you know, yes, they're models and, uh, you know, blue screen or whatever, but no, they do a good job of giving you a sense that they're going at some insane amount of speed that they're having to have perfect uh, control about where they're going. Or they're going to end up, you know, wrapped around a big sequoia i have to shout out uh empire of dreams again uh Mm -hmm. this is something that we do periodically on this on this podcast everyone should watch that uh it's basically a two hour ish documentary about the making of the first three films uh and they spend most of their time dealing with the first movie um as they should i guess um but yeah, there's there's a lot of insight. Like, how was this done? How did they shoot this? Um, you'll you'll see that in there. So, uh, and kind of going back to kind of somewhat of the beginning of the story, or sort of the, the movie, we discussed about the idea of there being another death star. Now, I'm sure. I mean, you guys have read the original original Star Wars script that George Lucas wrote in seventy two, seventy three. Yeah, I've got the it. Star. Yep. Okay, like the Star Wars from the Journal of the Wills, but I know about from the Tales of Anakin Skywalker. Was it Anakin Starkiller? Yeah. So, yeah, and in that one, I think, you know, George's original plan was that the deaths are wouldn't be destroyed till this chapter or this episode. So, the idea was that the deaths are was going to continue, but then the reality of needing a climactic finish to A New Hope forced him to go, nope, I got to put the destruction of Death Star here. Well, this movie doesn't work. It doesn't have an ending. And so um, and so then it's interesting that he decided to go back and go, nope, I still need that big climactic death or destruction here. So he went and built another one. And of course, I, we all got it because it's like, yeah, that's fine. By the it's way, the Empire. The, of course I got it enough. The first, the first instance of deflecting uh, laser blasts with a mm-hmm. lightsaber, that was awesome back in 1983 going, wow, cool. I remember just, again, new things that you can do with lightsabers and the Force. Oh, my favorite was always my, my brother had a Han Solo blaster and I got a lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. And, of course, the big fight was, I shot you. No, I deflected it. No, but I shot you twice. I deflected <laughs> both of them. 
So some of the action and the choreography in particular is a little rough, especially I'm thinking on Jabba's sail barge. Yeah, um, that fight sequence was bad. It's there like... were a few like missed kicks that were pretty obvious and things of that nature. But like this, that's really good. That's such a good moment. You're right. And and like pretty much from here, from the speeder bikes through the end of the movie, I've got basically no complaints about any of the action set pieces. Um, they're also fun. All right, so here we go. Um, real quick, are you pro Ewok or anti Ewok? I'm pro Ewok. Pro Ewok. Yeah, I've, I've come to be pro Ewok. I always understand. I mean, again, the original idea was this would be, and um, in Kajit, this would have been the Wookiees, which would have been awesome. But I also think, in some way, uh, having the Ewoks works because you don't see them coming literally you and, know the empire's not seeing them coming as the thing that's going to drop you know and well okay so a couple things first of all let's talk about another special edition ad and that is making the ewoks blink um that was you know it's one of those things where people are like why would you have to make the ewoks blink and it's like well actually by doing so you actually make it look less like a, a doll a, a doll yeah um <laughs> You know, there was always the, um, you know, the people talking. I don't know if this was, uh, how many times did we say it was George Lucas's intent? You know, what did he actually say this? I don't know. But talk about the whole Battle of Endor. Um, at least they draw comparisons to like the Vietnam War, where you have, you know, the, the big, the big, you know, technological terror, you know, military um versus you know the native people of that land who are fighting with just pure determination you know it's like um i don't know like i said was that what he's trying to get through to this i I think i think that that idea of you know david and goliath you know or you know like i said um i find that really interesting um but i always thought wicket was cute anyway go ahead no, I was going to say, and one of the one of the other things that um, Star Wars really leans strongly upon is connection to nature, connection yeah. through the Force to all living things. And if you notice, the Ewoks embody that to the degree that they live in this lush, verdant, living world. And uh, the only thing that sticks out like a sore thumb is the Empire and their forces and their buildings because they don't exist in harmony with nature. They're in some ways cut off from the force. So the idea that they would be defeated by something they didn't see, you know, that's not connected to the force or that is connected to the force, like the Ewoks makes sense when you start looking at it that way. And I suppose yeah, no, it's, mm-hmm. to what I was saying earlier, the same comparison could be to, you know, American Revolution where it's like we had mm-hmm. no business beating the British, you know, and all the mm-hmm. firepower that they had. Um, but, uh, a Vietnam comparisons. Yeah. Um, I, thematically it works really well. Uh, execution wise people differ. Uh, I, I think all three of us don't mind it. Um, but it is an interesting, uh, thing on the sense that there are the Ewoks are a concession, um, because originally it was supposed to be this 
amazingly, you know, far out chic with these Wookiees, you know, doing these crazy things and, um, you know, action oriented. And then it was just like, you know, a bunch of little teddy bears eventually. And like, that's, that's kind of like where we're at in return of the Jedi. Like a lot of the decisions that they ultimately made in the movie were concessions in that way. Like, yeah. like I think like Lucas originally wanted this thing to be like nine movies or six movies or whatever it well, was. Well, 12. Yeah. You know, depending on your version of events, it's a different mm -hmm. number every time. Uh, but yeah, like it was meant to be bigger than three um i think by most accounts and so like for him to just decide uh, okay i'm just I'm, I'm out we're gonna just do three and we're gonna call it good again a concession um and you see that like in a lot of the decisions we're gonna go back to tattooing why because we're creatively bankrupt <laughs> um we're gonna you know we there, there's a lot of that that in in the fabric of this movie and again like I don't hate it. I love this movie. Um, what's really interesting is watching the um, the sort of hoops that they have to jump through in order to make it feel grander than it ultimately is. Um, because so much of, like the Death Star and all the rehashing and the again, like Lucas was burnt out. Like, if you know the, the actual real-life story of how this movie came together, he was burnt the eck out by this point. And so, if you know that going in, and you can watch the film on that basis, yeah, a lot of the creative decisions begin to make sense. But at the same time, there's so much artistry involved in spite of that or because of that which which just elevates what we're what we're actually watching which like if you strip it bare it's just a rehash um and it's and it's a concession and it, it's not as grand as it ever could have been well i mean i still i however i i, I and you're right 100 percent. i will say though um you know going back to tatooine going back to a death star you know going back to places where we've been does not bother me Actually, what bothers me is like, for example, in Rogue One, when we're on a different planet every scene and it's like, where are we? What is this? I don't where what I feel like, you know, I feel like I've been a hood's been put over my head. I'm stuffed in a trunk and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, plopped out and it's like, where am I? Um, so I don't mind. I feel that. like you're in a video game. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind it. You know. Um, yeah. OK, so let's talk about this little scene of them getting trapped by. <laughs> the the ewok trap comic relief and again r2 just taking upon himself to like nearly kill everybody um comic relief but also let's consider shows the intelligence of the ewok because this is a big trap that they you know they got a nice animal uh, uh carcass there but something bigger exists in endor that that uh the ewoks are looking to hunt because that trap was able to hold Han, Luke, Chewie, and the two droids comfortably. So Good point. there's something that so so it's showing you the intelligence <laughs> and the skills that the Ewoks have in their understanding of their planet. Again, to Dave's point about you know that they are uh, a faction cognizant of 
the threats and the dangers in their in their environment. I love the interaction of Han and the Ewoks here. Where he's just like, kind of point a stick in my face. I'm going to shoot you, you dumb little bear. And like you said, to the connection with nature, Luke's like, eh, I think these guys can probably help us. So, but. So, but also, um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, kind of to back you up. I mean, we tend to forget. I mean, 1983 is six years uh, since the, the New Hope came out. George had already made two other two of these films already, you know, helped directed one that nearly burnt him out, you know, helped steer the second one, helped steer this one, throw in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the middle of all that, uh, Lucasfilm, you know, and Industrial Light of Magic expanded. I believe he went through, through one divorce, because Marshall mm -hmm. Lucas, who is still the editor, is you know, him and him divorced in the middle of all this. So it's a lot, I mean, we don't consider it from the standpoint of when we just get the movie, but there's so much going on in the lives of people putting this together that it's a, sometimes you go like, it's amazing what we got because, you, you know, not to say that they, they were going to turn out crud, but it would have been quite easy for them to try to turn out something that ended up being middle of the road, you know, as opposed to something that actually sticks most of the landing, you know, like what we get. I, I think that, um, again, like you, you look at some of the shortcomings, like things like the Ewoks um, and, you know, half a Wookiee, uh, we get half a Death Star this time around. You know, it's um, it's interesting in, in, on, on that level that like they're struggling to he's lucas himself is struggling to make this this whole thing work and it's because so much else is going on in his life mm -hmm. but what's interesting is the meta experience of watching this and looking at luke skywalker as being a surrogate for george mm -hmm. um and like the the ultimate rebel the guy who went who re rebelled against the studio system and was like no i'm not gonna do things your way and i'm gonna make my own company and so i have my own creative vision that i can that i can do and like in the process of trying to see that through he ends up creating these other corporations <laughs> yeah. which he's at the top of you become the thing that you hate um and and so all that's going on while this movie's being made. He's creating ILM, like you said, the the divorce, all these things. And and like it, it is kind of fun to just sort of like think of Luke as being George. Um, because like is he gonna turn to the dark side or is he going to not be an evil corporate overlord and, and actually not take his father's place in that respect? And um that stuff's fun of course this stuff's fun too okay. that we're seeing on the screen where han solo is about to be burned a lot real, real quick I, again the meme, the meme that has gone around a bunch it's like all right so where did the ewoks get the dress that leia is wearing it's like who's the lady that they killed and ate and kept her clothes because <laughs> You know that obviously they're 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 going to 
cook and eat Han and Chewie and Luke. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, where'd this dress come from? Anyway, um, mm-hmm. and I love this. Tell them, tell them you'll use your powers. You'll get mad and use your, your magic. And mm-hmm. that's, th- this whole thing is funny. Um, but it's the first mm-hmm. time that I think any of the, the main cast see Luke use the force. Mm-hmm. So that's a, it is. that's a big, it's a big moment, you know, that I think just gets kind of glossed over. Right. Cause they saw him wield the lightsaber and kick butt, uh, on Java sail but this is different. This is, and I'm sorry. I will actually... argue. I will argue with anybody. I don't care. It, it does not require great, you know, knowledge of the force to wield a lightsaber. Um, but any, but to, yeah, I mean, so yeah, that's, I mean, so it's like, he's got a weapon, big whoop de doo mm-hmm. but now he's, you know, moving things with mm-hmm. his mind. This has to imagine if you saw, I mean, that's why it makes Han Solo's, you know, line in the force awakens one of the best things ever where he says, you know, the Jedi, the force, it's true. All of it. All of it. This is the moment where he realizes that, you know, mm-hmm. Because when we were back on Jabba's palace, he was like, a Jedi Knight? What? You know, it's like Luke's full of it, basically. Um, So this moment right here is a big, big moment. Just like before we move off the uh, barbecue in Han Solo to the next scene, (laughs) they didn't take his clothes off. So so were they planning on eating his clothes? You know, what did they take the clothes of the lady because something happened. I don't know. It's, it creates a very interesting question. And I don't know if you, you probably, I don't know if you've ever played Battlefront 2. Do uh, they take the, the clothes off somebody before they eat them? No, or something? no. They have a whole uh, uh, level in there that's indoor at night. And it's like, it almost plays like a horror movie for the stormtroopers. I love it. Because they're like, oh my God, they're coming out of the trees. They're coming out of the trees. And all of a sudden you hear the, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, and, you know, the Ewoks chanting and coming out of, out of the woods and assaulting the stormtroopers. It's fun. Because... That's what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. All right. So we're always looking for character growth out of our characters. This is mm-hmm. character growth for C-3PO. He mm-hmm. said in the first movie, I'm not very good at telling stories. And he's telling the whole story <laughs> right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and this, this scene really helps to, it, it's just from a movie making standpoint, it's just, it's a nice little, you know, and it doesn't last very long. It's, you know, very cute. And they also figure out that there's a, shield there's a back door to the or there's a shield generator you know they can get to so mm-hmm. and I, also but I, I mean i think particularly because the next scene we're gonna get is a very emotional scene you kind of need to give you know you can't go from the force and all the fun stuff there and have to have that little transition right here to the moment where luke finally reveals things to leia you know it's you know you need to have this little transition moment where everybody's kind of Okay, you know, like I said, he's full. Everything's calmed down, and I love this moment between Han and three PO. Yes, Han and three PO in Empire and in Jedi is perfect, and that's why you know, like I said, and Ryan Johnson 
kind of got that when he wrote Poe and 3PO. Kind of got that interaction. They're just like, and hurry up, will you? And then 3PO does like a double take. Yeah. Always always makes me laugh. And I think we're on Princess Leia's fifth hairdo of the movie. Um, Remembering her real mother, which is a bone of contention for some people. How could she? Because remember, Luke is it. Luke is the first twin that came out, but he has no memory of her. Well, you know, there are people who have like, you know, made it into this, you know, in their own headcanon that um, Padme's death was faked. The funeral was fake and that she went and lived on Alderaan with uh, Leia and the Organas and but just never said that. I mean, yeah, so. People, people have gone through mental gymnastics. Um, you know, I don't know. I think there are, you know, well, people, people remember things, you know, that weren't there. Uh, it's there the, you go. The, the big scenes from, you know, from the A New Hope. It was like, no, you never saw those. I'm sorry. You never saw them. You saw them in a book and you think or you saw after them. the fact, right. You know, yeah, it's sorry. It just they weren't there and it's just that's the way our memories work you know um so now we have obi-wan kenobi the the miniseries maybe what he told leia about her mother maybe that's what she's remembering here you know mm-hmm. i mean again it's retconning but you know at, at the time Which... though at the time in 1983 well actually they wrote this in 1983, and then when you get to what happens in the uh, the, the prequels, yeah, he contradicts yeah, himself. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith, yeah. yeah. But also, it's interesting, because you're talking about not necessarily retconning, but the realities of writing stuff that's supposed to fit in between. Like, it's interesting that we, outside of the one moment where she recognizes his name in A New Hope, I mean, but both of them have a relationship with Obi-Wan, yeah, and in some ways, Leia's relationship is bigger and stronger than Luke's. So they, but yet, they never mentioned here. They, they, they say that a baby can recognize, the, you know, the parent's voice, you know, before they are born. So in the Star Wars universe, we're talking about somebody who is as strong with the Force as Princess Leia is. You know, is it possible that she knows more about her mother than? a typical newborn God, are we getting nerdy here? But you know, so I guess, no, this is... I guess I will give him a pass on this one because it's like, if you have that much of a connection, you probably know a lot about the being that you came from without even having ever seen her. Um, so. I think ultimately this is one of those things that Lucas, George Lucas, never felt like he would ever need to go back and explain. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. like, inside, like, like they say, look, look, this is the last one. I'm done. I'm never coming back here. And I, I can put whatever I want. And, you know, we, we can write books later. We can read kind of, we can figure it out, in, you know, years down the line. And, and nobody's ever going to care about this. And then he makes the prequels. And now it's a book of connection. Because he never thought he'd come back. Sorry, I have to jump in here. I love Han Solo acting like a high school junior right now it's like oh you can tell luke that's who you can tell 
you want to go be with Luke, go be with him, you know. <laughs> but, like... but also, to Dave's point again, his growth. You know, old yeah. Han, Han in A New Hope, or even Empire would have been like, you know what, I heck with this, I'm not, I'm not for this. But, like, he's far more connected to Leia and to the, you know, and you know, he values this relationship that he's built, built with her. To the point he that came he back and apologized. He did the grown-up thing. It's like, yep. dang it, I, I stuck my foot in it. I better come back and come correct. Little thing here that I always thought was very cool was seeing the AT-AT. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just always thought that was just, just cool. I don't think I noticed that for number of years or at least not in a way that it just really jumped out at me and, and but yeah like the older i got the more i appreciate and by the way by the way i want to everybody needs to go watch um family guys um you know star wars empire and jedi you know specials that they did it's one of my something, favorite lines something dark side one of my favorite lines here is when stewie you know you know as darth vader says something and, and the Imperial officer says, good, our first catch of the day. He goes, go wait in the ad at. <laughs> <laughs> Just love it. Um, I love the scene where he does when they do this. I go, my, what a voice. Can you say this? Paging Mr. Herman. Yeah. Because, again, yeah, you can, you got all these English actors with this strong diction. So. By the way, a little of course, bit. You want to talk a little nerdy here. Um, the the mouths of the stormtroopers um, change in Empire and Jedi from A New Hope. A New Hope, the mouth is gray with black slits, and in the last two, it's all black. Just so you know. Um, mm -hmm. And by is the way, the, first... the, uh, the 10 year old Aaron was absolutely sure that Vader was going to chop down Luke in this scene. But anyway. Oh yeah, that's how that that's how it's supposed to be playing. It, it's interesting. This is also the first mention that we get of Anakin Skywalker as Anakin. That it's not just uh, Luke's dad. His actual name finally comes into the forefront. That's true. Like dudes, yeah. like established at this point as being evil, and Luke's unarmed. He's got his lightsaber. He's like brandishing it at him. Yeah, no, like, as a little kid, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to cut him down. And we've seen him do it. That's that's the thing. It's like, when you've seen a character be as evil as Darth Vader has been through two movies, the fact that this is the moment where he might just chop him down. In fact, the only reason you you think no, they're not going to do that is because they've built up the idea that Luke must face the Emperor. So, but outside of that, if Vayner swung and killed him, would anybody it have been surprised? That little extra bit of tension, doesn't it? Like this whole scene is is electric, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's exposition mostly. It's just two people sort of like uh, talking about the past. Think about and, that. And, there is there is know. yeah. In a New Hope, there is not this much like conversation that goes on oh, yeah. in Return of the Jedi. There's a, There's lot, a of lot of conversation. Of conversation. We just came out of the. It's the like whole Leia Luke thing, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. like a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> Two people on screen talking, but in this scene in particular, it, it like if you're a kid who's been like nodding off 
at this point you see a lightsaber ignite and you're like oh gosh i'm listening now but i also think it's you know it's because of the nature of this movie this is where everything needs to get paid off everything needs you know all cards need to be revealed everything has to come out to the open uh whereas a new hope where you're setting everything up i mean i think that most talky scene there is the one where between ben and luke when ben's telling him the entire backstory of the force and you know and who he was and they get to see leia's message but that's that's about it because that's a movie that's propelling itself because we don't need to know everything he by this point it's time for them to tell us everything that kind of that we've been asking I'm trying to imagine the the guy at L- ILM who got assigned. You okay? You've got to make the Ewoks blink. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the things, by the way, is we're getting kind of wound up here towards the space battle. They finally figured out in Return of the Jedi how to make the ships look like they're flying fast. I guess they got the Tie Fighters a little bit in Empire Strikes Back, but they really did a good job at figuring out speed in this movie particularly speed yeah. through space you know meaning through the vacuum of space where you're not supposed to have a reference point which is why the Indoor forest moon so well. yeah. yeah the forest moon helps tremendously because like, it gives you a point that you could set the perspective of, of speed against uh but yeah even like this moment right here where the where the ships and the fighters are all going through the um the fleet just the simple act of them kind of cutting across and around them helps give you that sense that these are the fast ships and the capital ships are not the ones the, the big ones by the way i like how ahsoka has uh and, and some of the new uh well especially in ahsoka because they were on home one and but in rogue one as well it's like they all used admiral akbar's you know command chair type of a thing for these capital, ships it's yeah. just kind of just kind of nifty um it's, aren't those calamari ships, calamari yeah, vessels? Yeah. Okay, so it makes sense, you know. But I love yeah, the design. They, they keep it even in, I want to say they even keep it in Last Jedi. You know, because I want to remember the chair that Poe Dameron's sitting, standing, you know, crouching behind, ready to see, shoot whoever comes to stop yes, him. Was that, was that home one? That, well, no, it wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been home one. Well, yeah, it could have been home one. I don't know. It could have been home one because that was high par. May yeah. rest in peace. <laughs> we kill off screen. Um, yeah, and then you got the one stupid little Ewok who's going to go, you know, mess around with the speeder bike, but uh, ends up doing a good thing. And it was, again, comic relief because you got the Ewok who can't drive a speeder but bike. Also, but also, it's uh, like uh, like Han says, like yeah. that bad. It's like, okay, they, they took away the guy that left only one guard behind. So, and yeah. You get the little moment with the Ewok just kind of floating in the air as he's not accustomed to piloting this thing. It, um, yeah, it, it's it's such a small little thing, but it, it, I remember like the tension again when you're younger. You're like, oh gosh, this Ewok's gonna screw everything up, and then no, ah, okay, great, um, a little yeah, happy accident. Hey, look, here comes Captain Rex. Yep, here he comes. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Yep, there you go. Got the guy with the oh, white, bushy bear, white bushy yeah. beard. And uh, has, has it been determined that that, did, did they say that that is Captain Rex? Have they decided? 
don't know. I know he fought we'll in the Battle of Endor. They did say that. He fought in the Battle of Endor. Um, yeah. I will say, however, that we keep going. But every time we keep going to the Death Star, it does seem like we have the same scene over and over again. That is just one of the... Um, one of the critiques, but throne room, very, very cool. Um, there's a build up to it though. Like, like you said, there's a few scenes of the emperor just taunting him until those, those sabers come out. And then you're like, okay, so now it's on. But also just consider back what, when we got the scenes in the death star and a new hope, we got to go all around it. We got to go from, the detention center, the command deck, uh, the conference room, the uh, trash compactor, the hangar. Here, outside of the couple of hangar shots, all of it by primary it takes place here. It's in the throne room. It's like you know, we'll get a couple of shots when they're over by uh, by uh, the Death Star's laser where they don't put a railing. You know, that's the only thing they ask for. Not a race, but a railing. <laughs> but you know, all, all the deaths are important stuff is happening here in the throne room. It's here between between the Emperor, Vader, and Luke. So that's a point. Uh, I, 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 I love. I'm sorry. I love the the reaction shots from Vader whenever Luke lips off to the Emperor. It's always like, mm-hmm. dude, sh- <laughs> knocking off. <laughs> Interesting that you know. By the way, Ian McDermott, who I, mean, I don't think I don't think he's got twenty but twenty minutes of screen time total in this movie, but he nailed the character to the point that he had to become he had to be brought back, and he's now such an iconic part of the Star Wars lore. His Palpatine just rules somehow. Uh, look, I find it interesting that he calls the lightsaber a Jedi's weapon. Because it always makes it seem like, okay, do the Sith are not meant to have lightsabers? Well, I mean, yeah, he's he's just, I mean, he's patronizing Luke. Oh, you're a Jedi because you have a lightsaber, huh? That's okay, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that the most comfortable chair you got, Aaron? It is a comfortable chair, yeah. Yeah, but listen, no, Aaron's got the first throne room in his, in his office. Throne, I'm sorry, not throne. Yeah. I, I didn't realize there was purple until I saw it in your uh, in, in your office. And then now I see it's purple. Yeah, it's not it, it's not an exact, you know, replica, but it's it's close enough. And it was cool enough. So, Well, the thing is, pur- purple is the color of uh, regal, of royalty. It absolutely is, says the Kansas State grad. <laughs> I, I set him up for that one. Sorry, Aaron. Right, way to go. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> We're going to get this scene. Okay, everybody, check out your hats. Go outside and dig your own graves. <laughs> that <from> family guy, <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm up oh, to here with Ewoks. <laughs> I've had it up to here with Ewoks. I had to say that in just that moment. And I just saw that scene again recently and just made me bust out laughing. This is um uh this bit the with the score. Mm-hmm. And we're not listening to the score right now, but I can recall what what piece of music this is from John Williams that it's so amazing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think they put it into like basically every video game that was released over the next 20 years because it was so good. We just missed the most famous line, though. You rebel scum. Oh, scum. That, yeah. That's the one that triggers up Mr. Page and Mr. Herman <laughs> in Family Guy. But uh, yeah, no, but you're right, Dave. Uh, a lot of this book, particularly Jedi, is gets lifted for a lot of the video games for the Shadows of the Empire, yeah. Rogue Squadron, any anything having to do with Star Wars in a video game gets a lot of its action cues because primarily from this point on, this primarily becomes an action movie. You're having the battle in Endor, the battle in space, and the, ba- the duel in the throne room. So just, you know, the talking, all, all the talking scenes are done. Now, now it's all about surviving. This movie uh, for us older folks is the gold standard for sticking the land in because of all of what we're seeing over the next half hour or so. This is, this is it. And this is why for Rise of it's Skywalker is kind of and in a lot of ways because it didn't stick the landing in the way that this did I mean it's just because just consider it this moment we've revealed that the shield generators up that the rebel alliances plans are not happening and we're about to get the next big reveal which is going to set the you know the rebels back even further Way, yeah, it's just a big building. thing too. That's a big thing. To like, make the battle make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I went back and I listened to one of our older episodes recently, which it was like the favorite space battles in Star Wars, and there's not a lot to choose from, uh, but it's when they when you can see the logic of it, you see the strategy. They tell you what's happening. They show you what's happening. It all makes sense, and I just I don't know why they can't they can't do more of this and and like you said the shield's up okay we have to evade oh the death star is operational oh now we have to get away from the death star and fly close to the enemy ships you know and it's like and they're laying it out for you in dialogue step by step as you go along and then you see it unfold on screen and it follows the logic and you can follow what's happening and i don't know there's just more there's more investment you're being included in the conversation you're being included in in the strategy of it and so you have more of a vested interest in what you're seeing it's not just special effects Mm -hmm. oh a ship flying by that blew up another ship there's there's an actual okay what they're trying to achieve right here okay they're trying to get closer to the, the the big ship so that they don't get blown up you know and you're in it and like so much, so many modern films, they don't do that. Well, I look at it from the standpoint right here. Uh, by this point, the Emperor has revealed this trap. He knew that the rebels were coming. He's got sufficient troops that have captured the uh, team on the Force Moon. He's got his entire fleet blocking the rebels' escape route. So the ships are not going anywhere. And he's got the only wild card that he thinks exists, which is Luke in his presence, trap. So everything has gone according to how he's thought about it. What's the one thing he didn't count on? They're, they're coming right now. The Ewoks. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. The curveball. 
I, again, the people who get so upset about this, it's it, like to your point, Dave, this makes sense from a storytelling perspective. You know, it's, yeah, it's so why this bothers, why this whole battle bothers people, you know, the Ewoks, you know, beating stormtroopers. Again, you just have to look at, you know, history for crying out loud. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, Palpatine um, kind of trying to get, you know, trying to seduce Luke. Um, do you think Vader is, I mean, and we didn't know, again, they wrote this without having Revenge of the Sith. Looking at it now, I think it's like clear that's like, Vader, Anakin, is having some serious PTSD and seeing his son <laughs> going through his biggest regret. And does that, tri- and I know I'm getting ahead of ahead of things, but we just have mm-hmm. Ewoks flying around and, you know, uh, beating stormtroopers. But, um, Being you know, good you, tonight. But, but we've already seen some of those Vader reactions. Do you think that's what's going on? Or do you think it's like he's trying to replace me that, you know, dirty SOB. Um, well, you got to real. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if at this moment, Vader's thinking back to being aboard the Invisible Hand at the start of Revenge of the Sith. But again, they didn't. Just, I, I'm, I'm trying to get into when George Lucas wrote this, you know, before Revenge of the Sith even existed. Mm-hmm, that's what that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying is like, what do you what was the motivation then versus now we know probably the motivation is about like like I said, he's seeing his son go through the whole thing, and we can get that here I, in a little bit. But I, um, yeah, I think at this point, yeah, I think I think it's more along the lines of he's trying to convert Luke to the dark side, which is what I tried to do on on uh, um, Bespin and fail. So if, if the Emperor can help me take it, Luke to the dark side, hey, congrats! And of course, he loves me because I feel that that emotion in him. So maybe Vader's thinking, if the Emperor can help me turn Luke to the dark side, I'll convince him to join me, and we together can defeat the Emperor, because he already knows that that's the Emperor's big fear. But also maybe he's thinking, maybe he knows that as well, and he's trying to get ahead of me. So it's a, you know, there's a bit of chess being played behind the scenes between Vader and the Emperor, or who's going to ultimately own Luke's soul. I think, too... Um... We don't know what's going through his head the whole time, but like by the time that he acts, I think that it's love for his son exclusively because I don't think there's a revenge angle to that. I think he knows at that point, like I'm, I may not survive this, right? <laughs> I feel like the the Tiger King, you know, like I may not financially recover from this. Um, it's just like. I'm going in. He's going to fry me with lightning, but I'm doing it to save my son. And that's how I always read that scene was just a father's love. And it always meant a lot to me on that level. Um, I never really thought like, oh, he's trying to replace me. Well, I'll show him. You know, I never really I never really thought about it in that in that way. I, think by, I don't think that by the point that he finally acts, he's he's thinking that. But I think maybe early on here, you know, there may be some some of that happening because again, we know the nature of the Sith. 
their natures to betray one another. And so maybe uh, Vader's thinking that if at the end of all this, I'm the Emperor, Luke is by my side, we're both Sith Lords, and Palpatine somehow is not here anymore, Don. He, he did verbalize that at the end of uh, Empire. Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we know it's in the back of his head. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we get to see the Death Star here firing. And uh, again, the, 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 the further closing of the trap by the Emperor and the idea that the rebellion, uh, you know, has to win here or they may not be a rebellion after today. There's a lot of cutting back and forth um, between now. different elements here. Um, I think we... that I, I just wanted to say that I like, think the execution here is really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, when you mentioned the Ewoks popping up, like that's when things seem bleakest, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the spark of hope is the Ewoks popping up and starting to slowly turn the tide they're still in a bad way at this stage of things but at least now you've got like some little small glimmer of hope as an audience member oh maybe they're gonna get through this and so i think like the timing of that that moment in particular was just really well done by the way aaron what do you think the addict was doing while this battle's going on was the addict driver having a (laughs) coffee break Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, here is the saddest death mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. of cinema. He got the the at at got taken out by the guy in the glider with the with the rocks. <coughs> he took he took out the at at. But no, when this Ewok got uh, this uh, this this mm-hmm. scene just breaks my heart. All mm-hmm. right, good. We're past it now. Um, but also to, to cutting back and forth point, because you're right. I mean, go back to what we were just saying an hour or so ago. There's no cutting back from Java's palace when we're there. Here we're going from space to Endor to the throne room. And, you know, it's very frenetic. It's everything's playing in a matter of moments. You know, one action here is having a consequence elsewhere. So, you know, if Han and Leia can't get the shield deactivated, the Pilots and Lando are going to die if Luke doesn't find a way to stop uh, Vader. Well, actually, in an interesting way, the duel here, it's almost like it's happening on its own parallel plane. Like, it's separate from the battle. You know, it's more like this is a fight for Luke and the battle of Endor is what's happening on Endor and in space. But yet we know that this is vital. So Yoda tells... Luke that he has to and Obi-Wan as well tells him he has to confront Vader so the only and so is he is Luke actually turning to the dark side here you know what I mean that's that's one of the things it's like just because he's like you know gonna take down the bad guys we're led to believe that by Palpatine that okay good you're you because you're using your anger you're turning to the dark side it's like mm. Yeah. But, but isn't that much the same way as what he senses in Ben in Last Jedi? That he's turning to the dark side, that he's falling. And again, it's, that moment, it's the same moment of hesitation that he has uh, when he picks up his lightsaber and lights it over Ben. It's the same that he just has right here with the Emperor where he swings at him and of course Vader blocks it. But it's that sense of 
that momentary giving in is all it takes for things to go bad. By the way, was that the Tarzan? Uh, yeah. 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 Or are we pro Tarzan yell? I'm pro Tarzan yell. I'm fine. I was fine. No, I'm fine with Chewbacca when doing it, it. When it's when it's done like once, you know, yeah, no, it's it was it was funny. But however, I think to one of your, I think Fredo, to your point, I think Lucas was done by this point. So it was like, yeah, let's just make him do a Tarzan yell. You know, I mean, it it, it does. Yeah, it's anyway. It's the kind of it's the kind of thing. It's funny. We needed something. We needed something to laugh at at this point. Yeah. I mean, things are pretty heavy, so. But also, it's the kind of thing that if you're a little kid who didn't grow up with Tarzan, you may not know. Which you know, a lot of kids oh. in 1983 may not know. Versus their parents, they're gonna get a kick out of it, which I don't and mind. I, and I love Chewbacca and the Ewoks, kind of like Cheech and Chong here driving, you know, <laughs> a stolen yeah, car. Yeah, the You know, it's. <laughs> By the way, have you ever seen the uh, the Today Show? It was Halloween, and they were all dressed up as Star Wars, and they had an they had an Ewok on set, and the Ewok started humping Al Roker's leg. <laughs> nope, is that Dave? Have you never seen this? No. I I will send you the clip later. It's uh, it, it, we're pretty sure that whoever was dressed as this Ewok was drunk on the Today Show. Um, <laughs> nice. I'll send it to you later. All you need to do is Google ewok today show or you know on youtube and you'll find it um so it's fun watching all these different ingenious ways they take down these walkers and troopers um but like i said we've already seen that they're clever about life on endor they well, know how to set it, up intricate traps so but again to to like the american revolution that's the thing is that mm-hmm. you know you know the americans started to fight unfairly you know they weren't following the 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 ways of of battle you know and so they were you know being snipers they were you know um yeah so that that this all kind of checks like i said with and i love this i love you i love you i know yeah reversed yep sorry everybody it's so good which is i think in a way was necessary to kind of okay no he needs to say it too you know he needs to stop being the coolest guy in the room and just for a moment acknowledge his emotions and what he's feeling, which is part of his entire journey here. And hey, duels. Oh, wait, did you ever have a problem with this duel? I know that by the time Phantom Menace comes along, uh, George is really hyping up the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Maul. They're saying, here we see Jedi in their prime having their massive duels because, you know, in the original movies, we had like a kid versus this seven foot asthmatic with... Uh, and an old man with uh, prosthetics. But to me, this felt always impactful. It, it was a it was good really duel. Cool. It was a good duel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously what they did in The Phantom Menace was a lot faster. And, you know, in the, right. in the prequels, I mean, there is something to be said. What, you know, you're right. It is an inexperienced kid and an old man. So it's only going to go, you know, so far. Um but I also think in, in part the nature of this duel is far more personal than even the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Maul duel. There, they, they were they just felt very much like it was a uh, you know Ohio State versus Michigan to use a uh, um, college football you know colloquialism you know meaning 
know, rivalry. Like, like they're more standing for their team. Whereas this feels very much like it's the duel is almost like the thing they have to do. Yeah, Luke has the order. high ground. Sorry, mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah, no, this is this is the duels what they have to do in order to get at the truth of who they <clears throat> really are, their emotions. The formality, you know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, in in the new Ahsoka series when um, our main antagonist is is, is just like. Oh. And so we do the sabers. Yes. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, this is like, we have to get through this part of the, of the proceedings to get to the real meat and potatoes of it. Um, though I will, the thing for this duel that you have to give it credit for is, is one of the most emotional ones, especially when Luke snaps in, in a few minutes there. By the way, I did say, you know, I said, I jokingly said Luke has the high ground. There are so much that they have done since this movie and the the original three movies that has made some of these moments in the original three movies more impactful. That's one of them because you it you it isn't a large stretch to you know when Luke leaps up and has the high ground, you can probably hear Vader's thoughts going, "All right, been here, <laughs> you know." <laughs> not, I'm not going to go for, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to do something different here. You know, it's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of nifty. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's intentional when they made Revenge of the Sith or not, you know, it's. Uh, it's an interesting thought because, yeah, you wonder if maybe this is just showing progress, but of course, they, you know, Jedi here is coming before Sith. So, um but I think it, it creates, it's a good way to create this moment, the moment that's coming up right here, where it's Vader searching in the dark for Luke. Did you say Jedi and, came before Sith? What? Yeah, Return of the Jedi came before Revenge of the Sith. One came out in 1983. Well, okay, in not, not, not in movie <laughs> yeah. chronology. Chronologically, not, not in the, the not, numerically. Yeah, because, you know, they didn't, the idea of I the high ground didn't exist in 2000. No, not yet, not yet. But it's because it's setting up this, this again, kind of like they were saying, the, the meat and potatoes. This is the moment when it's all about the idea of what is Luke fighting for. Luke is fighting for his sister. Luke is okay. fighting for his friends. And that's the weak point that Vader can poke with. And here's the thing is that Luke is not perfect, everybody, because he his masters even said, bear your feelings down down they do you credit but they can be used to serve the emperor and so what does he do when he's hiding he thinks of leia and that gets vader you know gives vader information that he needs it's like you know so luke luke fumbles the ball you know a couple times in in this movie so again that's why i go back to it makes sense that doesn't make him bad it doesn't make him Mm -hmm. you know any less of a jedi but it's why that storyline in The Last Jedi makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And this makes sense, being who he is, being the, uh, you know, go back to Empire and how Yoda, you know, has this look and says, you know, he much anger in him like his father. Now there, here by, it is. by the way, right here, he was using the dark side here when he was chopping away at Vader and then chopped off his hand. And he's he's all about, you know, not knowledge and defense. He's out for some butt whooping. So, and the, music, kind of, and the music, 
Yeah, you kind of wonder if 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 Palpatine hadn't said one word, would he have just gone ahead and finished him off? But he starts in with his "Ooh, be my good, apprentice." Good. <laughs> yeah, and, and Luke's like, "Oh, yeah, you're right. You're gross. I don't want anything to do with you." Oh, okay. Let me say real quick because I was going to mention the music. I love the the turn that it gets where the choir just builds as Luke is just delivering mm-hmm. that whooping. And then right here where he says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, the music, it's almost like they hold this note. I don't know, Aaron, you probably described this better than I. Mm-hmm. They, they hold the, the music for a moment until Palpatine says, so be it, Jedi. And Fredo freezes. And then it continues. It's almost like everything's holding to a position. Did I? You froze. Did I freeze? Yeah. Okay. No, <laughs> you so, held the note. You held the note. I held the note. Yeah. I held the note for too long, but that idea of, you know, the music holds still for a moment. Everything stops for a moment to kind of give way to that declaration by Luke. And Palpatine then accepts it and goes, okay, I cannot turn you. Fine, got to get rid of you. And by the way, yes, uh, Dave, to your point about the just the battle, it's like here it is, it's like the shield is down now. Go, 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 go. I mean, it's like every <laughs> you're right. Everything in this third act makes sense. And they, they just... It, it just works. All right. So here's the first time we ever see anybody use force lightning chronologically in 1983. Mm-hmm. And the net nerds did not lose when there were no net nerds, but the nerds did not lose their mind. So we're introduced to a, well, okay. So in a new hope, we get the force power of Jedi mind trick in Empire Strikes Back, we get the force power of levitation and moving things, you know, in telekinesis. In Return of the Jedi, we get the force power of shooting lightning. So why are we so upset in The Last Jedi when Luke does a force projection? Or when they do the force healing in Rise of Skywalker. Right. Why? It's just these things drive me bonkers. You know, it's like, why is... yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it, it, this is where the net nerds of today really lost their mind because you start thinking, wait a minute, the, the whole point of the force is that it is so it's it's a thing that's unknowable but all powerful. So the abilities it bestows upon its users are only limited by the imagination of the writer and director putting it together. You know, this there is no limitation. That's the whole point. It's an energy field. Talk about, it. talk about the music um, when it shifts from the Emperor's theme to the Force theme, which is arguably the Skywalker theme. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, so that is awesome. But it is ruined by the special edition edition. No. Of, no, no. No. I don't need that. No. no didn't a 10 year old Aaron did not need that folks. And it's not like, you know, eh. Vader do Vader turning from Luke getting killed to Palpatine back to Luke. And it lets you know, we're enough for a guy in a mask. You understand everything. Understood what thinking. was going on. Uh, yeah. And again, it's, we're not already, talking about 50 year old Aaron. We're talking about 10 year old Aaron. It's like, um, now I will say, well, and maybe we can, uh, talk well uh, no i'm going to save something for later here uh english teacher and he also taught um we had a couple electives in high school movie lit and film comp 
where you got to make your own movies. Um, he was a huge Star Wars fan, but he was absolutely um, upset with the Darth Vader. Um, you know, the Darth- I guess I guess the reveal. So you have the you have the biggest baddest villain of all time, and you reveal him to be a you know a frail Darth- old you know you know, frail old man you know he went chasing amy on you so yep what's that he went chasing amy on you yeah kind of you know but uh, and well, jedi but, is the most insulting insult no i mean it's it's just more about the fact that he you know becomes this weak being you know it's like i don't know vader maybe oh. should have gone down the shaft with you know palpatine in his mind anyway no um, i think just to say right quick to that, I, I think it's needed. You you needed the final I agree with reveal. You. I agree. And with you. you needed that that moment of you know catharsis between him and Luke. But I also think because of the nature of who Vader was, I mean the you no, know, he's a half man kept alive by the equivalent of a iron lung, a galaxy far far yeah. away. If you start pulling all the plugs or you shock it, you know, deliver electricity to it, you know. The, the thing keeping him alive is gone, so he's going to die. That's just, you know, again, th- th- you don't need that to have that explained to understand it. So I don't know. I don't, I've never sat well with me. I think we needed this moment. Also, right quick, just uh, to that whole skimming along the Death Star, getting to the Death Star, if you ever played Rogue Squadron 2, that was a pain in the butt level. Well, if you, played, you, if you played Super Return of the Jedi, you know, flying mm-hmm. in the superstructure of the Death Star, that was stuff. All right, so this was another funny meme that Britt shared with me. At this point, Luke is Hall Invader, and the the Empire the Empire is running away, but you hear blasters in the background. There's blaster fire, and it's like so. They must be shooting each other to get on a ship or a lifeboat or a, you know, escape pod or something. It's like, I never never thought about that, but it's like, well, okay. uh, Did you ever see Spaceballs? I'll never not think of Spaceballs now when I see the end with all these guys. Every man for himself. Even the timpani player. Um, I'm I'm the bearded lady. Who are you? One of the freaks? But yeah, no, like this was all so strange, I think, at the time. Because like Luke's saving him or trying to save him. Like as a kid, you're kind of like, wait, that feels wrong. Or like, isn't he the bad guy? Why are you trying to save him? Um, Which, again, speaks to who he is as a person, as a Jedi, who he's trying to be, not giving in to the dark side. But also he cares for this person now i also think it demonstrates and this is something that eight-year-old me would not have gotten there's more than one way to save somebody and that's what vader or anakin at this point is telling luke when he says you were right about me you saved me already is that this you know this saving the physically because the reality is darth vader or anakin skywalker in this suit can't go can't leave the death star go meet up with the rebellion and say, hi guys, how you doing? You know, so something about all the bad stuff we did, but I'm redeemed now and uh, let me help you. Which is what you know? people wanted from Kylo Ren. Exactly. Well, there's such an interesting um, point in that 
which is like yeah no we are married to our choices every choice that he has made to this point locks him into this role like like you said darth vader like showing up at the rebel camp and saying hey guys is everything okay now truce cool we cool yeah let bygones be bygones he knows i mean yeah he knows that's that's not a thing he can do no. he can't do that and he knows that and for him at this point he's like it's probably just as well that i die um and again, like ultimately you did get through to me and that does matter again it's why i'm glad that ben solo died because i'm sorry you don't you know you, you, i don't know man like i i tell you i like my idea no, like you don't get to come back run. from mass genocide and killing your own father and everything's all good two of them could have taken off together ben and ray they could have just like Gone off to some other corner of the galaxy, hid out like Yoda, you know. Live, live that in the Lars homestead. It's been done. I'm just yeah. saying they could have done that. By the anyway, way, the uh, the Millennium Falcon losing the radar dish, I recreated that many a times in my living room. You know, just because the radar dish comes off of the Millennium Falcon, you know, the Kenner toy. So, yeah. anyway. By the way, yeah, and that that moment where you see the explosion and then the. Falcon shoot out. I think that's where they had the okay. Maybe this is where Lando bites it moment, which is it's interesting that they built all these moments where you're led to think maybe Luke dies, maybe Lando dies, maybe Han La dies. You know, so you don't know. So the fact that everybody makes that out alive is is something I've, I've always mentioned. Uh, Vector Prime, the Legends book, where Baca dies, and just the idea that Leia. It's talking later on about how they always seem to make it out alive. So it always made them think that they would always make it out alive, which you know, if and it's true. And here's here's Han behaving like a high school junior again. <laughs> um, Look, if you want to go with him to prom, you can take him to prom. Yeah, it's I won't okay. get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that is the final line in the, in the in the original trilogy. He's my brother. There you go. Confused happiness when she kisses him here. And then like, I, I love that little bit of acting. And then Wicket jumps in and C blocks him. So, you know, yeah. it's. <laughs> I didn't swear, Dave. Well, um, well, I mean, what, what, what was I going to do? Take her right there? I mean, come on, man. If we... There they go. Yay. All right. It's so all now... G rated. It's all happy. All right. So, Everybody's happy. more more controversy. Um, I, I will say this. I am not, I'm neither anti Yubnub nor anti new song in the special edition. I, I kind of agree with the, the choice that they made with John Williams in the special edition music. That being said, I like Yubnub. Um, but my, my wife has very strong feelings on the matter. Yubnub is superior and always will be, and and that, that it was a mistake for them to ever change it. Um, and I think that uh, it is a darn catchy song. Yeah. It, it, like I I hate that it went away. Um, I will say, but this, again, however. like I see both sides of the issue. I'll say that. I will say this. Um, it made 
a little bit of sense to me, even though it all it's all sticks out because it just looks weird. Um, but Tatooine, Bespin, and um, and Coruscant. Naboo and Coruscant, all those celebrations. That's cool. I, I wish they would have made it fit within the aesthetic of Return of the Jedi a little bit more. However, that being said, at the end of Rise of Skywalker, it made no sense. It made less sense than it made here. I, they could have done this with Yubnub, though. Like, if we're honest, if we're being honest with ourselves, like yeah, it's. Like, it's the, I don't know that you could. I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point back on that just slightly. I mean, first, I love Yubnub. Don't get me wrong. And I think Yubnub in the original version of this movie, perfect works because you're, you're focused just solely on the on party Endor. on Endor. Right. That's it. And you've spent five time with the Ewoks. So the moment you take it into a intergalactic or galactic celebration, you want it to seem a bit grander, a bit more grandiose because this is becomes... the fall of yeah. It, it's a it's a heavier story now that we have episodes one, two, three, four, five, and six. And so the music is a little bit more um reflective, okay. a little bit more, you know, yeah, not as celebratory as much as relief. Um and so I agree with you. The fact that if if it was just if we didn't see all of the um other shots then Yubnub, yeah, it makes sense because it's Ewoks singing about we saved Endor, you know, yay. Yeah, and La- I- my last word on it, I think you could have made it work because, like, again, like maybe you take the lyrics out, you know, and so you, you don't you, like you you fade the lyrics out, you had you you bump up the orchestral arrangement. And you so and you rework it slightly, you but you what I'm mesh, saying is, you could like, like, morph from one to the other, I, probably. Let's let's start real iconic. quick. I'm sorry, we're we're at the end. Well, let's skip. Let's forget Yubnub from now on because we we got to talk about the more controversial <laughs> thing, and that is uh, is Anakin's Force Ghost. Um, yeah. I and I think this needs to be a separate um, episode at some point about the Force and Force Ghosts and stuff like that because. Luke sees, and I've said it on this podcast before, Luke sees, you know, Obi-Wan as he knew him. He sees Yoda as he knew him. So Sebastian Shaw should be at the end of this movie. That's how Luke knows him. He never knew Hayden Christensen's, you know, Force okay. Ghost. Um, so that's why I had no problem with Ewan McGregor's voice talking to Ray through the force because that was obi-wan at one point she knew nothing of obi-wan it was just of him in one version of time but anyway the force goes it bothered i don't know so do you think sebastian saw or do you think hayden christensen i think if you're doing hayden you should have done ewan if you're if you're considering that the final shot and you're bringing it back to wrap up all six movies if, if you're doing and i know it you're you're 100 right if it's either Sebastian Shaw and Alcer Guinness with old puppet Yoda, or you go back to the young actors. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's again been my point that if if my grandmother's ghost comes to me tonight, it's going to be the Grandma Swoboda that I you know knew from the years that I was alive. It's not going to be twenty year old, you know, Angela, 
you know, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be Grandma Swoboda. I don't know. Dave, oh. where are you? Sebastian Shaw or Hayden Christensen? I'm completely off topic right now because uh, the Phantom Menace promo just popped up for me. I'm curious. Did the Phantom Menace pop up for you guys? Are you watching on Disney Plus? Oh, I just tur- I turned it off when we got oh, to okay. the family show. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, what it's I got interesting was... that that's the movie that's suggested right after Return of the Jedi because to me it's the movie that's most like Return of the Jedi, and it, it's it's the movie that was released. Um, immediately following well not immediately following return of the jedi but um just kind of a funny thing to me uh but like you know to answer your question uh i don't care uh (laughs) it's it's not enough of a weirdness to bother me um ghosts can look however they want yeah yeah, like I said, to me, it's more on the lines of if you're redoing it to bring, you know, the the whole six episodes at the time is going to be the six episode saga to a conclusion. About recalling back the original Anakin Skywalker from the Metal Force, just bring back uh, Ewan McGregor with his uh, have have uh, Ewan McGregor done his mullet too, and they can both be both him and Hayden can have their mullets as Force goes for all time, and. That would have been fine. I, I think it's an interesting choice, but I also think it's also like, eh, you know, it, it, again, it's George tinkering because, well, what if we do this? Now, what if we do that? So. Well, uh, thank you for watching Return of the Jedi with us and let us know what you think if we missed any, uh, missed any points or anything like that. Um, And until we hear from you on our social media, Twitter, whatever it's called now, uh, Facebook, wherever you, or if you see us on the street corner, until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? And everybody have a great week.